Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And you thought it was going to be all about Liz Cheney. Oh, no, 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 because I'm sitting here minding my own business. And what flashes across my Twitter feed? Griff Jenkins from Fox News. Border Patrol say that migrant encounters this year, fiscal year 22, have surpassed 2,000,034. A new record set this past weekend and a milestone never before seen in history. Compared to last year's record-setting numbers, which were 1.277 million at this point in fiscal year 21. So, clearly everything at the border is going great. It's going terrific. No, 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 no. The Biden administration clearly has got everything under control, people. So, you know what? fine it's all just totally totally fine it's not fine the border is an issue the border is a serious serious issue inflation is a serious serious issue and what do i get from liz cheney who lost her primary in wyoming by near 30 points The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed, he saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Speaking at Gettysburg of the great task remaining before us, Lincoln said that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. Did I say 30 points? I meant near 40 points. She lost by. Harriet Hageman with 66% of the vote. Cheney with 28.9. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number. 833-468-8669. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Serious issues out there. Serious issues at play. And Cheney, in losing, doesn't even begin to think about concession. And her argument is January 6th. What's at stake today, Congresswoman? Well, look, I think today, uh, no matter what the outcome is, is certainly the beginning uh, of, of a battle that, that is going to continue and is going to go on. And uh, as a country, we're facing uh, very challenging and difficult times. Uh, we're facing a moment where uh, our democracy really is uh, under attack and under threat. And those of us... Uh, across the board, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents who believe deeply in freedom and who care about the Constitution and the future of the country, uh, I think have an obligation to, to put that above party. Uh, and, uh, and I think that fight is clearly going to continue and clearly going to go on. Two million people trying to cross the border. January 6th? 
I don't think you have it correct. And the part that you don't have correct is not that you can't talk about it, be bothered by it, be bothered by the riot, be bothered by President Trump's response. It's that you don't engage a January 6th committee siding with people who are wholly political, who don't care about the country, have never put country first, who want to destroy their political opponents until they are dead, and give up the position that you had, which was whipping votes, because your record shows you as a conservative. This move shows you as an idolater. Not to the Constitution, but to this vision of ensuring that Trump isn't in office. Whatever you do, keeping Trump out of office, you're the one who said it on the Today Show, not me. The former president said last night, you're now headed to political oblivion. You said this fight is just beginning. You've even uh, launched a political organization already. So let's just be straight about it. Are you considering running for president yourself? Well, what I'm going to do, Savannah, is spend the next several months uh, completing my work in Congress, obviously completing my work representing the people of Wyoming. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of work left to do on the January 6th committee. Uh, and also, though, uh, I'm going to be making sure that people all around this country understand the stakes of what we're facing. Under the people of Wyoming understand what they're facing. A serious border issue that eventually will get to them. And inflation. Uh, they're, they're facing uh, 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 record prices. They're facing wages that are indeed falling because inflation is so high. They're, they, they're, they're dealing with recession. They're dealing with uh, threats uh, around the globe that it's the question of whether or not the United States under this leadership is ready for. The passing of the Inflation Reduction Act, which should inform you the level of ideologue the political left is, January 6th? That's your, your important work? understand the extent to which uh, we've now got uh, one major political party, my party, uh, which has really become uh, a cult of personality. And we've got to get this party back to a place where we're embracing the values and the principles on which it was founded uh, and, and talking about, you know, fundamental uh, issues of civics. Fun I'm not opposed to civics. I'm not opposed to engaging the founding. You want to read a lot of uh, John Stuart Mill with me? I'm down. You want to start talking about uh, uh, Locke? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm there. But goodness gracious, do you sound remarkably out of touch? But let's get in, and you did it in this interview. Let's get into exactly what you want. Fundamental issues of what does it mean to be a constitutional republic. But Congresswoman, you didn't answer me yes or no. It takes yeah, to I know keep that Donald you... Trump. I will be doing whatever it takes to keep Donald Trump out of the Oval Office. Well, I know. That's not running for something. That's running against something. Now, I have I have used lines just like this. I said this. I, I will not divulge what I said about running for office, but I engaged a line like this about myself very recently. If so-and-so is running, uh, somebody has to run against them, and if they won't, I will. That's, that's how it went down. We'll leave it there for now. People have said this before. Of course they have. They've engaged this before without question. Of course they have. So... Nothing new there, except that's what you seem to have been focused on 
and not your district, which is the entire state of Wyoming, may I add. You, 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 didn't, you didn't focus. And you know who noticed? The people of Wyoming. And that's why they voted you out. They're not Trump idolaters. People are voting in their own best interest. That's how it works. And you didn't have their best interest in mind. You had your best interest in mind. That's not what people want. I think it's going to be very interesting to see all of these Trump-supported people and how they do in a general. They win? Well, Trump clearly is the golden touch. They lose? Trump doesn't know how to pick a candidate. Stop being crazy, people. Like, it's going to come down to, to something like that. In the meantime, best of luck to you, Representative Cheney, if you want to run for president. Nothing, not, nothing to stop you. Go knock yourself out. She's not the only story. Sarah Palin. Yeah, yes, you remember Sarah Palin. She never said, I can see Russia from my house. Sarah Palin. She is part of the runoff that will take place in November. Actually, it's not a runoff. It's it's a ranked voting thing. You get the top three vote getters, and they go on to November. So you have two Republicans, Sarah Palin, and I think his name is Nick Begich, B-E-G-I-C-H. And then you have uh, the Democrat, uh, Peltola. Now, what's interesting here is that the Democrat got 35.1% of the vote. Palin got 31.4, and Begich got 26.9. So how much pressure is there going to be on Begich to drop out and allow the Republicans to coalesce around one candidate? It's the question. It is the question. Now, I say this while noting that in the open Senate primary, Murkowski got 43% of the vote. Lisa Murkowski, the incumbent, the, the, the kind of squish. And then there's the, the person running against her. I can never, ever pronounce her name. I still can't. I was looking for it today, and I still can't. Shibaka? T-S-H-I-B-A-K-A. Trump supported. Uh, and, uh, and she came in at 40.4%. So there's going to be a race there as well. Again, Kelly. Kelly Shabaka. T-S-H-I-B-A-K-A. They're both going to the general. It's going to be a big, big election year in Alaska. How do I feel about Sarah Palin? I feel fine about Sarah Palin. I've made this argument before. I was only upset that Sarah Palin, who uh, to date, no one, no one, has taken as much abuse on the political scene as Sarah Palin. You're going to say to me, Donald Trump, hands down. Let me make the caveat. No one has ever taken more abuse with less backup. Trump at least had backup. He took tremendous abuse. I mean, tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of it. But my gosh, Sarah Palin had no help. They just destroyed her four-letter names, four-letter words from from people like David Letterman, uh, from from Bill Maher. It was endless. Sarah Palin is a great place to note 
when um, the the uh, the whole thing went off the rails in terms of how, a, a conversation of decency. What happened to Sarah Palin? Where was the Me Too movement for Sarah Palin? My argument has always been that at that moment, when she could have dedicated herself to being somebody of, you know, some study would have helped. And she could have been a mind because you had to know that she was the reason that people voted for John McCain. It wasn't John McCain. There was never an excitement about John McCain. I can clearly remember sitting in front of a Starbucks, I lived in California at the time, in Porter Ranch, explaining to a friend why he had to vote for McCain. It's California, you're gonna lose anyway, but you gotta at least try, you can't have this thing. If McCain was such a draw, well, this wouldn't have been a conversation. But Sarah Palin, for a lot of people, was absolutely, absolutely, absolutely a draw. And if she had just gone down the road of 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 a little um, intellectual prowess, tried, I think she would have had it a lot better. She went down the road of, let's have a reality show. (sighs) Funny, in today's world, that would have been the right move. Then, nope. Today's world, right move. She could be on on, uh, The Masked Singer like she was, and people are like, oh my God, wasn't she on it? Her and Rudy Giuliani, people are like, oh my gosh, wait, you humanize these people? How dare you? I want to like what they did, but they're just so evil because I disagree, and blah, blah. But they're willing. They're willing to poke fun of themselves. They're willing to have some fun. So do I mind uh, if, if Sarah Palin goes to Congress now? Not at all. Not at all. I, I think she, she will do a, a fine job, an absolutely fine job. I, I won't be concerned. I won't be bothered. I won't think that she'll go off the rails. They'll claim she goes off the rails. But I, I've got Marjorie Taylor Greene for that. So, so you know, she's fine. She's good. She's solid. Oh, and I think the people of Georgia are going to reelect Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's certainly the way uh, I, I've been hearing it looks. It could change. It could all change. So I, I wish her all the, all the best. Liz Cheney, I, I wish her all the best. But I hope she learns. I hope she learns that she did this to herself. That her conversation about principle, that's a conversation for one. She isn't speaking for the great America. The great America that believes in the January 6th committee are progressives who want to see Trump destroyed. She doesn't understand that they hate her. I hope she learns it one day. I'm Tony Katz. So the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation, is passed. And of course, Joe Biden is just thrilled because it's going to reduce inflation. Right, Joe? The Inflation Reduction Act invests $369 billion 
to take the most aggressive action ever, 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 ever in confronting the climate crisis and strengthening our, our economic, our energy security. So that's a no about inflation. Doesn't do anything about inflation. That, okay, thank you. Just making sure that we know it's, 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 it's zero about in, inflation, but, but it does show something about democracy, right, Mr. President? The bill I'm about to sign is not just about today. It's about tomorrow. It's about delivering progress and prosperity to American families. It's about showing the American and the American people that democracy still works in America, notwithstanding all the, all the talk of its demise. Not just for the privileged few, but for all of us. You know, I swore an oath of office to you and... Can we just stop for a moment? The only people who talk about the demise of America are people in your party. The people on the right are worried about the demise of America. The people in your party are active about the demise of America. We have to fundamentally transform that. Those are your words, Barack Obama's words. We have to defund uh, the police. We have an open borders conversation. If you won't vote on beds at the border because you won't put more beds at the borders because you don't believe people should be detained at the border, ergo open borders. You are the party of the Green New Deal that believes you should end uh, carbon uh, emissions, emissions, uh, to the extent technologically feasible, which means not running tractors that will help us push food throughout the nation. I mean, it it doesn't take much to start looking at at the conversation, realize you're, you're, you're talking about yourselves. The Inflation Increase Increase Act, whatever you want to call this thing, which is the Inflation Reduction Act, was a lie from beginning to end. It was a lie from beginning to end. And they were thrilled with this. Thrilled with this. Representative Clyburn was one of the speakers. Oh, man, he wants you to know. More tax fairness by requiring corporations to pay a minimum of 15% while protecting families making less than $400,000 per year from paying one penny more. If uh, there's a corporate minimum tax of 15%, everybody in the country pays more. It might not be taxes, but it is other things. And oh, the CBO says $20 billion more in taxes. Thank you very much. Alan Dershowitz. On the Trump raid, that's up next. I'm Tony Katz. I've had a principle for 60 years. I wrote about it in my new book, The Price of Principle, and that is if there's a dispute and one side wants the truth to come out and the other side says, no, we don't want the truth to come out, always believe the person who wants the truth to come out. That's the person who's telling the truth. And so the Trump People want the affidavit to be released. The Justice Department doesn't. The question is, will the affidavit be released? Is the DOJ really willing to give up on the idea that the affidavit going public won't simply thwart, if not end, uh, their investigation and possible indictments, as Rich Lowry of National Review was discussing? Of President Trump, indicted on what? This I don't know. Should he be? It doesn't seem clear to me. 
We have questions going back to the warrants itself and how broad it is. The voice you heard is that of Alan Dershowitz. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Alan Dershowitz joins us right now. His latest book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences, that is available at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. A number one bestseller right now in media and the law over at Amazon. I, I want to get into the to the affidavit with you, sir, but I want to start with a conversation I've been having, uh, we've been having here regarding the Fourth Amendment. When the Fourth Amendment states that you should not only address the place to be searched, but the items to be seized, and you see a warrant uh, that looks as incredibly broad as it does to an outsider, to a non-legal mind, and engages the idea of fruits of crime, in your view, was the warrant too broad, and is there a case to be brought that maybe it should never have been uh, offered up or allowed? I think it was too broad. I think there were two cases to be offered up, one based on the face of the warrant itself, which doesn't seem to comply with the specificity requirements of the Fourth Amendment, and second, whether or not the affidavit really justified it. I'll give you an example. They went into a safe. Now, to go into a safe, you need a special warrant. You can't just say, I want to go into a safe. A safe is a place of great privacy. And so the affidavit would have to say with specificity what was in that safe. They can't just say, we want to go into a safe because there's a safe in the office. And, of course, following Geraldo Rivera and the uh, uh, infamous uh, uh, Al Capone <laughs> fiasco, um, the, uh, there was nothing in the safe. So we have a right to know whether or not the affidavit specified what they expected to find in the safe. Now, we are not sure that we're going to see this affidavit. We have a judge that's we, going we, to be... We're going to see uh, this affidavit. You believe we will? Absolutely. The question is when, and the question is how much. Uh, there's no way in the United States of America that a document as important as this gets suppressed. Um, the, the way the judge ought to handle it is this. He ought to say, look... The presumption in America is in favor of transparency. So I'm releasing the entire affidavit unless the government can show me, and they have the burden of proof, that specific names, specific acts, specific events are necessary to keep secret for protecting of witnesses, for keeping the investigation going. But the presumption should be that everything comes out. I'll give you an example. I was told of the lawyers in the Pentagon Papers case. Remember that case? Long, long time ago. Touch before back. my time, but I, okay. I'm a guy who reads, so I'm good. Yeah, okay. Pentagon Papers case. The Solicitor General of the United States, the former dean of the Harvard Law School, a friend of mine, uh, got up in front of the Supreme Court and said, if you allow the Pentagon Papers to go down, they're, they're, go out, there are such secrets that the United States government will never survive, essentially. And, of course, the court ruled that the Pentagon Papers could come out. They came out. Nothing happened. Everything it just wasn't true. I don't think the Solicitor General lied. I think he was just told by the security people, you've got to keep it secret. The government always wants to keep things secret, and the media and the First Amendment want things to be made public. And I think in America, you have to err on the side of making things public. 
talking to Alan Dershowitz, New York Times bestselling author and lawyer. Of course, as you know, the latest book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. On this subject, one of the things that has been discussed is the emails of Hillary Clinton. You were on with, with our friend Leland Vittert on News Nation yeah. just the other day having uh, this conversation, and your exact quote is, I think what we're seeing here is a misapplication of the principles of equality. Two wrongs don't make a right, but if you have two wrongs and they're treated differently, that's a third wrong. So in right. your conversation, not only with Leland, but this comes from a Wall Street Journal uh, op-ed that, that you wrote, what is it about Hillary's emails, the server, the secret server that she had in the bathroom, that parallels to this Trump investigation, I guess we'll call it an investigation, as you see it? Well, in both cases, there was mishandling of classified material. The head of the FBI got out and made a statement, Comey, saying that it was wrong, but that uh, uh, it would not be prosecuted because she was merely negligent. Uh, that seems to be what's going on with Trump, too. Nobody is really saying maybe they will, but nobody is saying at the moment that he did what Sandy Berger did, that he deliberately slipped things into his sock and his underwear. Um, you know, it, when you leave the White House, especially under these circumstances on 2000, January 20th, 2021, when you still say you're president, and you're fighting like hell to promote that, in my view, falsehood, that you're still president, you're going to be pretty busy. And he didn't pack the boxes, and he didn't put them down. And so I think the worst-case scenario will be negligence. And if negligence wasn't enough to prosecute Hillary Clinton, the burden of proof, again, is on the government or on, Car on, on Garland to explain the difference, why a search warrant a broad search warrant in this case. Why a search of his wife's um, closet? Why the safe? Uh, when in the Burger case and in the Clinton case, the searches were narrower. The the uh, application of law was narrower. And so, you know, this this the argument I wrote in the Wall Street Journal is, you know, about what about ism? You know, always when people complain about somebody being prosecuted, they say, yeah, but so and so wasn't prosecuted. And that's become known as the what about, what about Clinton, what about Berger argument. It's a good argument in a democracy because you want equal protection of the law. Even Garland said even-handedness is the essence of the Justice Department. And so what about Clinton? What about Berger? Those are good questions. When you talk about the whataboutism and you talk about uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland talking about the equality conversation, uh, are you left to wonder why he – is okay with this warrant. He made sure to go out of his way to talk about personally overseeing and personally approving right. the warrant. You think he personally approved this warrant, and how much do you think he regrets it? Well, I think he personally approved it. I doubt that he regrets it. He may. Uh, I think he opened up an enormous can of worms, and he better be able to support it. Uh, that's why it's so important to get the affidavit out there to see whether the affidavit actually supports it. I don't see the case for a search warrant. They had a subpoena out. They were negotiating about the subpoena. If they weren't satisfied with the negotiations, just go to court and you enforce the subpoena. The judge orders the president to produce the 12 boxes by tomorrow morning. And then he goes through them and sees what's privileged, what's not privileged. That's the way it should have been done. That's the way it's usually done. And I'm afraid about a double standard. When you think about how People like Manafort and Peter Navarro and, and others were arrested and handled. That's not the way people generally are treated 
in white-collar crimes. When my clients are indicted, I'll get a phone call from the Justice Department saying, your client's been indicted. Would you bring him in tomorrow for arraignment? And I say, no, I'm a little busy tomorrow. All right, we'll do it the next day or the day after, and we'll put him on bail, and we'll have a trial. He's presumed innocent. That's the way it normally works. You don't go to airports and shackle somebody in front of their family. Talking to Alan Dershowitz, the book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. You can get that at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are, are, are sold. This this idea of, of principle is something that we discuss here. I, I discuss on the show, but I've been discussing it a little bit differently, and I've been discussing the total lack of faith in the institutions. It is difficult yeah. to have faith in the FBI when you go from the Russia, Russia, Russia story to this. It's very difficult to have faith in the CDC when it seems rather obvious that their moves were not science moves, but were political moves. And when you see the, the, the lengths to which uh, groups like the American Federation of Teachers had in in changing policy or moving policy or writing policy regarding the DOJ. The principal conversation matters. And the argument I make is that it's not us so much that has changed. It's that the institutions have failed us. So there's a question of how do they build back the trust? But maybe the first question is, what are the principles that need to be reinstituted? What do you believe uh, that that's that's missing? And what exactly should be the price? Well, in, in my book, I set out a series of principles that have dominated my life, free speech for everyone, due process for everyone, equality for everyone, and, and courage. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story that stimulated me to write the book. I was sitting next to, this is a name-dropping story, sitting next to Caroline Kennedy, the daughter of President Kennedy, the man who wrote the book Profiles of Courage. And she, she comes up to me and she says, if I knew you had been invited to this dinner party, I wouldn't have come. Um, essentially saying, I will never come to a dinner party that you've been invited to. And that lack of principle, that idea that you won't be in the same room with somebody who defended the president of the United States on the Senate by an ambassador, a woman who's now the ambassador to Australia and who has to talk to the head of China and the head of North Korea, but she can't be in the same room with somebody who she disagrees with over whether or not President um, uh, Trump should have been impeached. It's not even the disagreement about whether he should be impeached. Should he get a defense attorney defending him against what I believe was an unconstitutional impeachment? Now, I don't care about parties and dinner parties, but, you know, the library in my town of Chilmark, where I live every summer of 53 years, they have refused to allow me to speak. Every year they invited me to speak to overthrow crowds, and they have refused to carry my books until until I pressure them and threaten to sue them. But once I defend the President Trump, they stopped getting my books. That's the kind of McCarthyism that was seen from the hard left. And it's inexcusable. And it's just reminiscent of original McCarthyism, which I grew up with. I knew it. I saw it with my own eyes. It's uh, Noah Rothman over at Commentary Magazine who has a, a book out about the New Puritans. And and, and what you see from the, the left is is this almost religious or religiosity, uh, this, this cult-like obsession with putting their politics into everything. And anything that doesn't have their politics must therefore be wrong. And you have to carry this with you. So when, when you talk about principle and you talk about Caroline Kennedy, I mean, uh, it's a very telling story. The story is about what the, the burden she has to carry with her to know of every wrong that everybody has done as opposed to disagreeing with somebody and, but still recognizing that even the president of the United States, Donald Trump at the time, gets representation. 
Well, and, you know, look, her father was not without sin. Uh, John Kennedy's private life uh, was one of the most scandalous in the history of America. Um, And uh, obviously she supports him. Uh, There are no perfect people. Abraham Lincoln uh, had some racist uh, tendencies. Thomas Jefferson had had slaves. Uh, But, you know, the idea that you would have no social contact with somebody because they defended the president and the floor of the Senate, that could only happen on the hard left today. And you're right. I think it's in many ways worse than the new Puritanism because Puritans at least tolerated some dissent. Now, obviously, they, they, they hung witches but, uh, and did some terrible, terrible things. But they did it because they believed it was commanded by God. The left doesn't do that. They think it's commanded by political correctness. Well, just because you call it something different doesn't mean that they aren't engaged in their own level of of, of idol worship. Before I let you yeah. go, sir, Alan Dershowitz, uh, telling Newsmax arresting Trump won't keep him out of the 2024 race. You're doing a little prognosticating here? Yes, I, I am. Um, I think it's very possible he may get indicted. If it's in the District of Columbia, he will probably be convicted. and It'll probably be reversed on appeal. But uh, at the time he announces for president, he may well be under indictment or even convicted. But that won't stop him and shouldn't stop him from running for president. To run for president, you need to satisfy only three, four criteria, which he satisfied. Over 35, one in America, didn't fight in the Civil War against the Union and wasn't convicted on impeachment with the rider that he can't ever run for office again. So Congress can't add to that and can't. You can't make up rules about who can run for president. He can run for president if he were in jail wearing a striped uniform. He could still run for president. Mayor Curley ran for mayor of uh, Boston while in prison. Uh, if that's not going to happen. But uh, the efforts to try to get him disqualified. Look, I want to make sure he's not disqualified because I have the right to vote against him for the third time. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm a liberal Democrat. I just put my commitment to the Constitution, my principled commitment to the Constitution, over any partisanship. And that's why I wrote the book, The Price of Principle, and it's a heavy price. Mostly my family has been paying for it. They have canceled my wife, who didn't even support my defending of President Trump, my children, my grandchildren. All my relatives have been uh, canceled. It just is the same old McCarthyism, this time from the left. While you're prognosticating, uh, 10 seconds or less, or, or, or less, will we see an indictment of President Trump from Merrick Garland? I don't, I don't think so. I think Garland is too smart. Unless there's a smoking gun, unless there's Nixon-type crimes, I don't think it's going to happen based on a mishandling of classified information. He is the pride of Brooklyn College, everybody. Alan Dershowitz, remember, B is for the buh in Brooklyn College. The book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences, that is actually the school song. It's quite incredible. My father went to Brooklyn College. Alan Dershowitz, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences, always a pleasure, sir. I appreciate you being with us. Hope we get to do it again. Alan Dershowitz, thank you. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. It's the best audio of the day. It's the best, the best Joe Manchin, he knows he's been caught lying. There's nothing he can do about it. Oh, the Inflation Reduction Act? Well, we, we didn't say it would do anything today. Is it misleading to call this the Inflation Reduction Act for Americans when it's not going to make their grocery bill cheaper? It's not going to make everyday goods cheaper for them. Why would it? Why would it? 
well, immediately it's not, but we never said anything happened immediately. Like today, it's turned the switch on and off. That's insane. We never said immediately. You voted for this because it was going to reduce inflation. Everything you were worried about is inflation. We didn't need the legislation. You looked for cover. I was on Newsmax uh, yesterday, and they were like, what do you think this bill should have been called? I said it should be called the Joe Manchin Whoopi Bill because they renamed it to make him feel all nice and toasty, and he has his whoopee, and that way he can sleep at night. They know they lied. It's obvious they lied. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying because you can see it. It's not that you get told it. It's that they tell you it. That's a fundamentally different thing. They're telling you. You got eyes. You got gray matter to coalesce the vapors, that big mush of brain. You see it. You're not crazy. You're not. They lied about the Inflation Reduction Act. It increases inflation and increases taxes. And we're all worse off because of it. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.